This is Mindframe, a podcast of mind-bending science fiction. I'm Dave Moten. I am the narrator of all of the regular episodes of Mindframe, as well as its author. And with me, as always, is my brother from another mother, my producer extraordinaire, uh, Brent Van Tassel. Um, and we are here to uh, record for you uh, Chapter 18, uh, Episode 2. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about its contents and what has been described to me on social media as a, a brutal cliffhanger, um, which I thought was enjoyable um, in a moment. But first, uh, some some upfront business at the top of the show. Um, and one which is both business and passion is our love of El Yucateco hot sauce. Um, they are our primary sponsor. And uh, as we've been saying for the past uh, several episodes, um, if you're into hot sauce, you definitely want to check out El Yucateco. They've got a wide range of flavors, and I think that's probably the most important thing to say about it is flavors. It's not just a wide array of hot to not hot. The flavors are distinct and delicious and uh, good for, for various purposes. So um, buy some El Yucateco. If you've already got a bottle of El Yucateco because you love the green and that's what you've been buying for years, branch out. Try the other ones. Uh, don't think it's just the same thing with a different color because they taste radically different. My favorite happens to be Triple X, or I mean, uh, Bren's favorite is Triple X. My favorite is black, and it's got this really unique smoky flavor that's really great on uh, scrambles or some kind of breakfast stuff. But check it out, El Yucateco. Um, you can go to their website and buy it. You can buy it online. You can usually get it at a local grocery store, depending on what neck of the woods uh, you live in. Um, also, uh, check out patreon.com. Um, backslash mindframe podcast if you like the show and you want to support us patreon is uh, one of the best ways to do it um, it's the only way to get access to all of the sit down episodes that we record for all of the regular episodes so check out uh, patreon um, and consider joining up as a patreon and you'll get that plus uh, some really cool t-shirts some other benefits so check it out um, and as always we are a pod belly original all of the production, all of the social media, all of that end is handled by uh, Brent and the good people at Podbelly. And if you're interested in podcasting or you have a podcast, go check it out. It's got some great tools and tips and it's got some uh, directories and ways that you can get your podcast noticed. Um, so go to podbelly.com and check all that out. So where we left in eighteen, uh, chapter 18, part one, we uh, saw Claire um, taking command of her ship, the Eleanor Gray. Um, from Captain Kathy Botha, who was the captain of Akunga Station. And um, she has now gone into the framing chamber to meet with her framer. And uh, she walked through the snow, and uh, as she knocked on the door, it opened. It opened. And Campana saw the same woman from seconds ago in the framing chamber. Well... She still was in the framing chamber, but was now a completely transformed being. Gone were the flowing uniform of a naval framer. Instead, the woman wore paint-splattered denim overalls and a t-shirt. Instead of the near comatose distant stare, the framer was alert and full of life. She held a small device of some sort. Akunga's framer, asleep in his cot, wasn't present yet. Hi, Kampana said, staring at the framer. Josephine was her name. She knew that from the file and from conversations with father. Josephine Wu. Campana tried to picture the year's worth of adventures and connections she shared with father. The burning of the ship. Her father's death. Josephine was right here, standing in this chamber when Campana's father died. She was closer to Claire's father than anyone, 
even his own wife back on Earth. And here she was, beside two barking dogs. You're her. And dogs. They're dogs. The two attendant bots were dogs in this mind frame. Claire had expected them to be framed into roommates or something, not dogs. They are. Hi yourself, Josephine said, standing back and seeming ready to slam the door shut. Claire, Campana said by way of introduction. No, I'm Josephine. No, I'm Claire. Claire knew well what to do from her recent training. The anchor's job was not to support the illusion of the frame. It was to simply be a presence, a trusted companion who would give orders and keep the framer from spiraling into some sort of permanent delusion. Claire could say pretty much anything, and Josephine's mind frame would hear it however she needed to in order to keep the frame established. The attendants helped with that somehow through a sort of confusion generator they called focus and orientation displacement. They kept the framer in their mind frame. So, Claire said, I just came on board from Akunga Station. I'm here as the new captain of our ship, the Eleanor Gray. Clarabelle, Josephine exclaimed, and leapt forward. She hugged Claire deeply, desperately, as if she was waiting for her arrival. Still holding Claire's shoulders, Josephine pulled back and took in her face. She had a beautiful smile, Josephine did. Claire was eager to hear what her framed relationship was with her father. Campana said, It's really nice to finally meet you. I'm very eager to work with you restoring the gray back to full functionality. In fact, we have a very important mission, but that can wait. I need to figure out where we are here in your frame first. Perhaps you can show me around a bit, the captain asked. Oh my gosh, get in here. Let me take that, Josephine said, shouldering Claire's pack. You must be freezing cold. I am, yes, now that you mention it. And your attendants manifest as two dogs? The one who... Stop it, Muffet. Stop. The barking one is Muffet. The sniffing one is Porthos. She'll pee if you pet her right now. Campana pictured one of the two floating revulsions somehow peeing on the floor. She said, that's an image. I'm not sure how to treat them since I don't get to spend any time with dogs, which is... Is that a cellular phone? Claire asked of the device Josephine was holding. It looked like it could be an old phone, one of the ones with rudimentary internet functionality. Did you need to make a call? No, no, I'm just getting things straight. Such an old building. It makes your clothes and phones seem anachronistic, Claire said, looking around the hotel. She stood in an ornate and wide lobby with a tall double staircase and a check-in counter. Stacks of construction material were here in the lobby as well, staying dry and warm. Even in the mind frame, this place, Campana's ship, was under construction. The hotel must be framed to be Eleanor Gray, Claire realized. Let me show you your room. I've got some sweats you can change into if you don't want to unpack. I'll put on some coffee, cocoa, tea. I'd love a tea. White or oolong, herbal, green. Guillermo had quite a stash of the gourmet stuff. Anything would be grand. Too much bad American coffee of late. Claire changed into some warm-up pants, which Josephine called sweats, an English term instead of standard, one she'd have to look up a definition for. Claire was dry and warm and had a small dog sniffing eagerly at her duffel bag and wet boots sitting out in the hall. It was mildly disturbing to think what that dog really looked like and to wonder exactly what it was doing at the moment. Josephine could be heard piddling around in the kitchenette up the hall making tea. Claire wondered if the real Josephine was making tea in the small kitchen from the apartment she lived in within the framing chamber, or if this were merely mind frame tea, an hallucination like the rest of this. Claire walked into the hallway and looked around. 
There were pallets of flooring tile and old walling materials they would have used back when this place was built. Old tools using oversized batteries or orange electrical cords for power were numerous and baffling. Based on the bulky laptop computer that was in her own manifested duffel bag and the cell phone she found in her own jacket pocket, Claire had a rough sense of time. This hotel was old compared to whatever year they were supposed to be in. The hotel wasn't a new construction, but an old place being restored. Claire had seen evidence of a fire in the building, so the reconstruction in the frame must have been the same as the real world. A fire here, a fire there. On the walls were old photos of a young, adventurous woman. They were black and white vintage things that Campana would have placed to be set in the 1940s based on clothing and automobiles. The young woman in the pictures was clearly a young version of Eleanor Gray, namesake of her ship. Deviant turned WorldGov. This was an anachronism, of course, since Eleanor Gray famously lived through World Vote Wars, not World War II. But as Claire learned in the Mojave Desert Training Complex, frames would be full of anachronisms and historical mistakes. Claire thought of the framing process for the first time standing in the midst of Josephine's illusory construct as a belittling thing. When Claire trained on Earth, she was surrounded by experts, powerful minds and attendants that monitored what was happening. But here, in the middle of the solar system, Claire was alone in this powerful woman's fantasy with no way out if the framer decided it to be that way. The most gifted psychics on the planet were messengers, a group of only five people who had mental capacities strong enough to reach across light years of space and communicate in real time with powerful alien minds that were part of the Kel Democratia. Then the 25 couriers, and finally, the framers were the third most powerful. Their job was to guide the minds of all the crew on ships to make them function as one hive being. Framers would calculate immense amounts of data, control the stream of communications, manipulate the engine, gravity, and atmosphere of the ships using the raw computational power of the willing human brains they could access. Just as neurons would combine to make a human brain, individual human brains would combine to make the metabrain needed to expand the functionality of the systems on a ship. The ship could function without a framer, all systems would work, but the framer multiplied the efficiency of the systems and crew exponentially. But something about that level of mental control made framers lose connection with the world around them. They built elaborate hallucinations that they lived in, some sort of disassociative reality disorder. The first framers just lay comatose and pushed people silently from a bed or a mental hospital. But eventually the senders figured out what was happening and the directions to construct the framing chambers were beamed down. They helped the framers stay conscious and associate with a limited amount of people while still pushing the minds and crunching the numbers they needed to. And entering the chambers allowed anchors to fully experience the mind frame as the psychics themselves did. Outside of the chamber, Claire would never share this illusion. He's almost ready, Josephine said, startling Claire. I've got some cookies too, but I could drum up something more substantial if you're hungry, Josephine said. Claire looked up and saw not one of the most powerful psychic entities in the human race, but a woman, slightly older than she was, frazzled hair and paint stains, petting a beagle. The identity of Framers was somewhat guarded, so even the personnel jacket didn't have a picture of her. This was the first time Claire saw Josephine's face. No, the cookies sound fine, Claire said. 
Josephine led her from the hallway to the private apartment that Josephine and the attendant dogs inhabited. She poured them each a tea and sat at the small rustic table and said, Feel free to come in here and fix food anytime, day or night. The only other kitchens are the main industrial kitchen and the one out back of the winter wing. Their cupboards are bare and they take forever to fire up. In the kitchen, Claire stood looking at the wall calendar where Josephine had written Alfie and Clarabelle. She wasn't sure who Alfie was or what that meant in this frame. There would be a lot of confusion exactly like that, Claire was told in the training. An entire world was here waiting for Claire, but nobody was going to give her any exposition or answer her myriad questions. She admired the kitchen. It was much like her grandmother's down in Mexico, filled with old technologies and basic charms. Claire sat, eager to try this tea. Claire cupped the mugs in her hand and absorbed the heat. She smelled the tea and, decided it was too hot to drink, and said, I'm honored to be your captain, and I'm eager to experience what it is to be an anchor. We'll have a very important mission as soon as the Alpha Messenger boards in two days. I hope we work together nicely, and I look forward to bonding as we serve together on this ship. She paused. Alfie, on the calendar. He must be the Alpha Messenger who was coming to board the ship. She remembered her training. She was required to ask a very specific question of her framer upon the first meeting inside of the mind frame construct. Campana went over it in her head and got it just right and continued, I willingly enter your framing chamber as captain of the Eleanor Gray. I want to be positive that my becoming your anchor is something you accept of your free will and volition. Absolutely, Josephine said, and there it was. She accepted the anchor. Now, she just needed a messenger to make their psychic connection, and it would be complete. Campana supposed that would happen when the Alpha Messenger arrived. Josephine continued, To be honest, I've been going a little crazy up here, and the thought of you being here with me, it, I don't know, anchors me somehow? Good to hear, Claire said with a smile. She was glad that Josephine already used the word anchor, and felt that they had just taken an important first step in their conjoined work here on the Eleanor Gray. Do you prefer Josephine or Joe? Everyone calls me Joe. Only Alfie calls me Josephine. Well, him and Guillermo. Guillermo, Claire said quietly. Yeah. Claire paused and sipped her tea. In this mind frame, Claire wasn't Captain William Campana's daughter. She was his niece, and he went by the pre-standard version of his name, Guillermo. Claire pictured her father sitting at this very table, looking out a window over this very lake, drinking tea. But he was gone, and all that remained of him was maybe here inside this mind frame. It was deeply sad, this woman who thought she'd lost her husband. It was sadder than Claire herself felt since her father's death. Sadder somehow than her own mother losing her husband. Josephine suddenly started to cry, and within seconds it became a deep, mournful weep. Claire didn't know what to do. This woman, this stranger, who was beloved to Claire's father, was having an emotional breakdown. Claire remembered her mother doing this very thing after the funeral, and just like she did with her mother, Claire helped guide Joe to the floor and hugged her. She pet Joe's hair and rocked her, assuring her it was okay to cry. While sitting there on the floor, she saw a picture hanging above the sink. It was a picture of Claire's father in a linen suit, with no shoes, hugging Josephine in a casual, breezy wedding dress. They were on a beach, holding hands, very much in love moments after saying vows to each other. This was almost identical to a photo Claire's mom kept above her own kitchen sink. 
Her father, young and handsome and happy. He was dead. He either burned alive as the atmosphere went aflame, or he was pulled into the vacuum of space where parts of him exploded and parts of him froze simultaneously. He wasn't Captain of the Grey. He wasn't Claire's father anymore. He was either burnt carbon stuck in the cracks of the hatchway or inert cosmic flesh drifting through the frigid zero of space. He was a ghost, a memory, only important to three people in the world, Claire, her mother, and Josephine, his second wife. Claire lost it. She wasn't a crier, but she cried now. She felt a void, an absence of youth, a weight and a responsibility that she could never again call her father. He was dead. He'd never drink a tea, never read a book, never laugh or fart or poke her in the ribs or hold her mother's hand while walking barefoot on the beach in a linen suit. There was no more rain for Claire's papa. No more mornings, no more nights, no more duty, no more flights. Because he was no more. They cried together for a long time. And eventually the dogs came to lick up Joe's tears. But they were actually robots. This was all getting a bit too heavy for Claire. Eventually, Joe said, I'm sorry for the outburst. It's been happening a lot lately. The dogs think I'm crazy, Joe said as she pulled a rag from her pocket and handed it to Claire. Claire found that her nose was a massive snot from the cry, and she blew like a sailor. She said, I miss him too, my father. Oh God, Joe said. What? We're a perfect match, aren't we? Crying in a heap? Joe wiped the tears from Claire's cheek and laughed a little, saying, We're fucking doomed. Affirmative, Claire agreed. They both laughed a bit more, straightened themselves up, and drank some tea as fresh snow started to dust the windowsill. This woman was Claire's framer, his father's second widow. This woman watched him die and had spent the past year and a half mourning his loss. That was more than Claire ever did for the man. She went on with training, fired a gun at the man's funeral in salute, and eagerly got upvoted to become her father's replacement. Joe was more empathic than Claire was. Maybe that was what made one of them be a framer and another be a naval officer. Different mind frames. Welcome to the old dame, Joe finally said, using the same nickname that Claire's father used when he talked fondly of Eleanor Gray, the nickname that Captain Kathy Botha said would stick. Joe went on. I'm going crazy up here, you know, by myself. Not just this crying. I'm seeing things, having nightmares. I don't eat. I can't sleep. I try to work on restoring the old dame every day, but it's too much and it's not enough. I need more than just tile saws. I mean, Teddy and his guys do most of the work, but... Campana cut off Joe and asked, Teddy? Sorry, yeah, my contractor. He's really brought this place back to life, but he only comes up when the storms allow him. So Theodore Brown, Teddy, wasn't in the mind frame yet. Claire said, interesting. That makes sense, yeah. With the unusual amount of solar storms, he's probably had to limit all construction to the work his crew could do inside the station. No EVAs or work done in space itself. The gray is small enough to be fully encased in an internal dock, so he should be able to direct more resources there than the larger vessels outside the station. Joe gave a weak smile, seeming to have heard none of that about the shipyard, and said, I'm sorry to dump all this on you, Claire. You just got here and must be jet-lagged. Nonsense. Why do you think you're going crazy? Tell me about these nightmares. In Mojave, Campana learned that if a framer was killed or fully removed from a ship during active framing, 
It was utter chaos. Human minds couldn't handle the abrupt shutdown of the pushing. It could drive some mad or kill some who were particularly in deep with whatever the framer was doing with their brain power. Mostly it would drive them paralyzed for a few minutes, hours, or days, able to make a full recovery. Perhaps Joe was experiencing some side effect of losing her entire crew in one conflagrant swoop. Perhaps if Joe could give her own version of what was causing her mental distress, Campana could put it through a sort of mind frame filter to figure out what was really happening. If not, she could use the Eleanor Gray central computer to read the medical diagnostics from the attendants. It may be nothing, however, just part of the mind frame and this character she was playing out. Joe said, It started with the death of Guillermo. I couldn't get past some sort of intense mourning stage. Being up here alone surely didn't help, but I had Alfie and your emails, and I acted like that was enough, but then nightmares and sleeplessness came. Both are waters I'm unfortunately comfortable navigating, so I brushed it off, but lately, Joe shivered. Claire poured her some fresh tea and put her palm on the back of Joe's hand. Her hand was soft, the softness of someone who stood alone in a chamber their entire life with two ghastly attendants taking care of their every need. Lately, Claire asked. It's been like waking dreams, hallucinations, panic attacks. I can't leave the dame without my body completely rebelling. I saw these people like priests in the stairwell the other day. I woke up here in the apartment and nothing was as it seemed, like it never happened and I was missing time or something. I can't explain it. I just keep getting worse. This could be a real medical condition and Campana was mildly concerned. She said, have you thought about medical care? Do you have a reliable doctor or therapist that can help? I did back in the city. Claire would have to develop a lexicon. What would Joe mean whenever she said the city? Did that mean something before she was a framer? Was that part of this narration and thus in the mind frame? There would be a consistency there, but Claire would have to find it. She asked, Can I tell you a secret? Please, God, yes, talk. Tell me something, Joe smiled a smile that asked forgiveness for being so crazy. Claire said, I feel like I'm losing it too. I mean, admittedly, I'm not having as rough a time as you are, but I feel like the weight of the world is on me. I mean, everyone on earth, even the dolphins, are watching me, waiting for my next move, seeing how I'll live up to the family reputation. Claire couldn't believe how candid she had just been. Anchor training told her to be brutally honest with your framer, and it seemed Commodore Nechayev, Captain Tang, and Captain Botha all agreed. Claire just let it all loose, knowing that nobody else on earth could ever hear what was being said in the framing chamber. Claire continued, I feel like I'm totally out of my depth. Like I have this future now, this grand plan that the entire human race has for me, but it's like, how the hell do I live up to it? How do I help open the lariat, she asked. Porthos, Joe suddenly screamed in minor horror. Campana looked at the dog attendants and one of them had peed all over the floor. Oh my God, I'm sorry, I haven't taken them outside in hours. Feel free to stay up here and unpack and I'll be right back. No, no, I'd love to come with, Claire said. The whole reason she was here was to get to know Joe, so she thought it best to accompany her on doggy duty. I might just stay on the patio to keep out of the white stuff and stay dry, though. Joe called the dogs and patted her thighs, and they all walked down the grand staircase, through the lobby, and out the front doors. The porch was wide and large. Claire figured if this place was intended to be a hotel, this must be used for outdoor dining, perhaps, in the summer. But then she had to wonder. When the ship was repaired and underway... 
Did that mean here in the mind frame the hotel was active again? Was that this place's mission for Joe? The dogs pounced into the snow and made their way to the thick copse of pine trees nearby where the ground was clear and they could do their business. It's gorgeous up here, Claire said. I see why you don't want to leave, Joe said. I can't leave. Not that I don't want to. Let me show you something cool. Well, Teddy and I think it's cool, but apparently we're building nerds. They walked back in and the dogs sprinted to get back into the lobby before they were left outside. As one ran directly towards Campana, she started to shrink back, picturing what this thing really was and wondering if it was charging her in the real world. Joe walked behind the massive front desk. It was like any hotel, a long thing with room for several people to check in at once. This one was made of natural wood, seemingly cut from one giant tree, curving slightly and covered with a thick black masonite counter. It was taller on the customer side and shorter on the staff side, where Joe walked Claire. The dogs stopped near the elevator, licking their paws. Campana discovered that the staff side of the massive desk was covered in hundreds of pictures, some spread out, some in boxes. The light was magnificent down here, and these photos were fascinating, most of them hundreds of years old in black and white. They showed men dressed in clothing that Claire would place in the 1800s, they seldom smiled and often paused for the photographer while holding enormous saws meant for more than one man or some other type of construction equipment from the era. Joe talked her through the pictures. They're laid out in what I think is chronological order. Only about half of them have dates on the back. Look, these are the first people up here near Lake Akunga. This is the laying of the foundation of the old dame, the rise and fall of a small semi-city that grew around the construction, the time when it was a logging camp, the time when it became the stately hotel, some photos from an artist who took pictures in the 1980s when it was a derelict space filled with used condoms, empty beer bottles, and graffiti, pictures of the remodeling after Guillermo and I first bought it, these are the fire damage, newspaper clippings, and finally photos I took of Teddy, Manny, and Junior helping to rebuild. This last batch was from my crappy printer. I'll get them developed the next time I'm somewhere, but this is it. The whole ball of wax. This is all I know to be true. This place. This horrible and magnificent place. Campana wondered what the pictures meant. She wondered if they meant anything. Some things in a mind frame were meant to be highly symbolic, but others were just set dressing. Campana's training said to be patient as you figured out what was what. Claire could sense that Joe needed something. As Nachayev said, a speech is the thing. This woman's morale was at an all-time low, and she needed someone to captain her. Campana straightened her back and went to pull down the tunic of her World Navy uniform, which she discovered again she wasn't wearing according to the rules of the mind frame. She said, We'll get her back up, Joe. The halls will be filled with the ship's crew, dedicated officers, all here to serve out the dictates of a very important mission. First, we have to get the Eleanor Gray repaired and spaceworthy. For this... We will need my entire crew being pushed by both you and Teddy, Claire asked, pointing to a photo of Teddy. Joe nodded that yes, that was Teddy. Campana continued, you and me, we aren't like regular women. You are trained to be here to do this very important job. I have been equally trained. You are uncertain you're right for this job anymore. I'm uncertain I've ever been right for being captain. And we both think everyone else is waiting for us to fail. But you know what? Fuck them. That's what. You and me, Framer and Anchor, 
We've got each other and your attendants, and the world can eat shit. We have a ship to launch and a legacy to warden. We have a deviant to hunt down, and no one, human or otherwise, is going to stop the two of us or this ship or her crew. Joe smiled and hugged Claire. Then she hugged Claire even tighter. Claire laughed a little and got ready to tap out on her back to release the grip, but Joe let her go, saying, I hope this isn't insulting, but I was expecting a pampered girl from a nice family, not a hard ass. You are not what I was expecting, Claire Campana. Claire smiled and said, You're not what I was expecting either, Josephine Wu. For one thing, I thought you'd be Chinese. So that's it for chapter 18. Hopefully your hang on the cliff was worth it to get to episode 2 of the chapter. Um, and as always, uh, from the bottom of our hearts, we thank you for listening, uh, for, for liking the show. Um, if you do like the show, like the show, uh, find us on social media, give us a like, give us a subscribe, give us a share. Um, it's worth, uh, it's worth more than, you know, all of that stuff, a, a good, uh, review on iTunes. Um, all of that stuff really makes a podcast grow. It really gets the word out. If, if you like the show and you think someone else does, uh, shoot them a text, let them know about it. Uh, just get the word of mouth out there. That's, that's always that organic thing that kicks a podcast to the next level. Um, and it would be super helpful for us if you did that. Also, you can find, uh, us online at mindframepodcast.com. And there is a merch store there where you can get all kinds of everything from clothing to coffee mugs. Um, in there, you'll find a little section for books where you can get uh, my first novel from a different uh, set of, of fiction. And you can get the, the various books of Zach Smith, who is the co-host of our sit-down episodes. Um, it's all there for you on mindframepodcast.com. Um, also, speaking of podcasts, uh, if you go to podbelly.com, um, you can find a whole uh, great list of other podcasts, uh, such as Art and Jacob Do America, and uh, from a Gen X point of view, um, whatever your flavor is, whether you like comedy, whether you like true crime, whether you like paranormal fiction, uh, whatever the case may be, um, there is something for you at podbelly.com. Uh, so go check it out, and I'm sure you're going to find something you like. Um, if you want to find us on social media um, and interact with us, send us questions, talk to us, post uh, on Facebook, we are Mindframe Podcast. On Instagram, we are the Mindframe Podcast. On Twitter, we are the Mindframe Pod. And on Reddit, we are r slash Mindframe Podcast. So as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. And remember, the Lariat is closing.